Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNBR Buffs podcast presented by the American Raptors. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today we've got a pretty fun show. Uh, I'm not going to lie. After that basketball game last night when Colorado lost to Washington State, and I mean lost is an understatement, I was kind of dreading having to do this podcast today. Uh, honestly, my thought was like, how am I going to talk about this game for an entire podcast? And I was like, well, maybe we could find something else to talk about. Maybe it'll be some like little football thing. Turns out... There are some pretty big football things to talk about. Uh, the Buffs landed two transfers today. Uh, the, the first one, news broke this morning that Colorado was going to pick up Sam Houston State running back uh, Ramon Jefferson. Um, we'll talk more about him in a bit, but I'm very excited to say the, the absolute least. Also, Colorado added a tackle. His name is Alex Harkey. He, uh, he he played JUCO football last year as a true freshman. He's coming up to Boulder now. Not quite as much information out there on Alex Harkey as there is on Ramon Jefferson, uh, but we'll talk about these two additions today. Um, we'll, we'll talk about the basketball game from last night, and we'll also uh, play an interview. I actually had a chance to sit down with Ramon this morning and talk about everything that uh, went into this decision, kind of his path getting up to this point. And so that'll be here at the end of the show. Um, so so definitely stay tuned for that. I'm excited for you guys to hear it. He's a, he's a smart guy, which makes sense. I mean, he's a veteran running back, and I guess we might as well just dig in right now. Um, so Ramon, from the Bronx, uh, graduated high school, uh, goes to... Maine, which is an FCS school, they had missed the playoffs four years in a row. In his freshman season, in which he was a, a freshman All-American in, at the FCS level, Maine goes on a run through the, uh, the the playoffs and winds up losing out in the semifinals. So they make it in the top four of the FCS, which is not easy to do. Remember, that's a 2014 playoff. Um, so he starts out there, winds up transferring to a junior college 
where he spent a year and he had some interesting thoughts about that. He pointed out that like the talent level at Juco is actually surprisingly high, but I'll let him explain that for himself. Um, from there, after a season at Juco, he goes to Sam Houston state. And for those of you who don't know, Sam Houston state is a national powerhouse at the FCS level. You know, the NDSU is the top dog and then you get to James Madison and Sam Houston right behind him right now. And then there's other teams like both the Montana schools are, are right up there kind of like nipping at their heels. Um, South Dakota State is, is usually right in there too. And there, there's a few others as well. But Sam Houston, year in and year out, is competing deep into the playoffs. And so I, th- I think that the point of this is that just because he's coming from FCS – doesn't necessarily mean that there's huge question marks. I mean, there's always like going to be some wondering about the jump from FCS to Power 5, but when you're playing the teams that he played when he was at Sam Houston State, I mean, Montana lost out in the second round of those playoffs, and they beat Washington. Um, there, There's, I mean, NDSU probably would be... Uh, I mean, they'd definitely be a top 25 team in the FBS and, you know, I'm pretty sure that Sam Houston played them in the championship last year. It might have been the semifinal. I think it was the championship and beat them. Um, and so you kind of look through and say this upper tier of FCS football, I mean, it's it's probably most comparable to high-end group of five play. Um, you know, your, your Boise State, um, you know, Cincinnati went on like the crazy run this year, so they were up there. But, I mean... North Dakota State, probably a top 25 team. And then you've got a couple others who are probably receiving votes. Maybe they sneak in. And so the the transition, I'm honestly not quite as worried about. Um, in terms of what Ramon is as a football player, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of a bowling ball. I think that that's probably the, the best way to look at it. You know, if you're, um, if you're a Bronco fan, I think back to like C.J. Anderson, um, when, when he was a Bronco, you know, just kind of a power runner, um, the ability to break some tackles, a good late season runner. Um, when, when it's all cold out, you know that you got to pound the ball 25 times, you can hand it off and he's going to be breaking tackles all game and potentially wearing the defense down as well. Um, I think he's 5'10", 215. You'll hear, I did confirm he's still 215. Um, and surprisingly fast, too. And I think that the speed is probably the biggest question. You know, you, you look at the highlights and see, oh, wow, he just took an inside zone to the house and nobody could catch him. You know, he looked like the fastest player on the field. When he gets to the Pac-12, is he the fastest player on the field? Probably not. Um, but I think that there's obviously still enough there to like. I mean, he he was a freshman All-American, turned out to be just like a an All-American All-American he was fifth in the country in rushing in 2020, um, sixth in the country in rushing in uh, 2021. I think he was like seventh in, uh, no, I think it was fourth in 2020, fifth in 2021. And then in 2021, he was like seventh in yards per carry. So he's, he's kind of been a force at the FCS level, one year of eligibility left. And, you know, this, this is where we get to the point where it's like, because of last year's transfer class, you've got to temper your expectations. You know, if, if last year's transfer class didn't happen, I think right now I'd be saying he's the favorite to be your running back one this season, your starting running back. But 
because of, I mean, it was a disappointing class, and that's something we've talked about. You know, Robert Barnes provided some things, and I think he's going to be a really important player on the defense this year. Um, outside of Robert, you know, Jack Lamb made a big play, but you didn't see much of him. Um, Max Ray started some games at left tackle, but it didn't go well. Um, JT Shrout got hurt and didn't really play. And, and those were kind of the top guys worth talking about in that transfer class. So just because of that, decided, you know, you got to you gotta keep uh, keep your head about you. You know, you, you can't expect transfers to come in and, and just blow it up. Um, and so that's why I'm, I'm not going to say that he is the starting running back right now, but I am willing to say he's going to finish top two in that depth chart. You know, can Deion Smith pass Alex Fontenot? I think that's a question. Um, is Alex Fontenot the best running back? I mean, that's also possible. He, he seemed to have lost a little bit of his burst last year. But when you're coming back from a major knee injury that forced you to miss a season, I think that that's probably to be expected, right? Um, so so if Fontenot gets that burst back, then I bet that it does wind up being a uh, a one-two punch with, with him and Jefferson in some combination. Um, and if not, I, I do think that Jefferson has a real chance to just take this job and run with it. Um, again... He has some speed. He's a really good zone runner. I should say that part too. When you see the zone blocking in front of him, like he just reads things so quickly. He's so smooth. He he has the acceleration. I feel like the acceleration is kind of what separates good zone runners. Um, you know, obviously, like the, the the vision is kind of the key piece. If you have that, then you're you've got something right. There's there's something worth work, working with. You know, if you, if if the guy can't figure out what hole to hit. It's just not going to work out in his own system. Um, but, you know, if you have that vision, then I think it's the acceleration that really just changes things because that the whole zone running scheme, especially those outside zones, you know, it's just figuring out where that cutback lane is and then hitting that as hard as you can. And, and we've seen Jefferson get up to speed unbelievably quickly. Um, and, and that combined with the... the Tackle breaking ability, you know, an arm tackle is not going to get him down. There, there's some videos out there where, you know, three, four tacklers can't get him down. He'll just break them all. Um, he's a good veteran running back. And I think that, honestly, his floor is probably something like what Alex Fontenot was last year. I think that that's probably the floor. Um, and, and the upside is that maybe there is a little bit more explosion there and also more tackle breaking ability. I think that both Fontenot and Jefferson have very good contact balance. Um, the ability to, to take a hit and maybe stumble a little bit, but stay on your feet. And I think that when I say C.J. Anderson, this kind of has some similarities to, to Jefferson. That's what kind of comes to mind. Against that bowling ball, go forward, hit the guy, knock him backward, and then stay on your feet somehow. Because there's just that, that ability to find at minimum like two extra yards by falling forward or staying on your feet for just a couple more steps as you go down. And that's something that Fontenot is really good at as well. Um, so so I do think that if you're trying to imagine it in your brain, first of all, I'd say I tweeted out a bunch of his best videos, best plays today. Um, so you could check that out too. But if you're just trying to envision it, I'd say he gets up to speed quickly. The, the, the top end speed we'll have to wait and see what that looks like. You know, I don't think that... I think he's probably a tick below Jarek in terms of that, that top-end speed. Um, but remember, like, Jarek is more quick than fast. You know, Jarek got caught from behind over and over and over again. Um, 
and it was kind of surprising every time. I think that he might, have, I think Jefferson might be a tick behind him. I think it also might be comparable. And I think that that's probably the upside is that like, ah, there, there's DBs in the Pac-12 who will chase him down if, if you've got to run a long way. But, I mean, that only matters on plays that are already like 40-yard runs anyway, 30-yard runs anyway. Um, so there's that as well. Um, you know, hitting the hole hard breaking arm tackles, you know, the ability to, to take a hit and kind of spin off it. You know, there's plays with stiff arms. There's plays where he's jumping over guys. He's, he's a pretty explosive athlete, um, even if that top end speed maybe isn't anything special. And again, that's kind of just like a big question mark at this point. That's what that's what I'm most excited to, to see from him is what exactly is that. Because if he winds up being, you know, even just having Jarek's speed, He's going to be in great shape, and who knows? He might get an opportunity in a training camp next year. Um, I'm excited, though. I think it's also worth noting that he uh, he graduates in May, so he's staying down there at Sam Houston, and he'll he'll finish up classes and then join CU in May, um, which means he won't be a part of spring ball. But again, I mean, for running backs, like you always love to have those reps. But, I mean, is it potentially least important at running back? I mean, maybe like punter or kicker as long as those guys are kicking on their own. Um, but, yeah, I mean, running back, it's it's a simple job, right? It's a, it's a really simple job. Um, I think that that's most of my thoughts there. Uh, I guess we might as well run through some numbers. Let me, let me pull up some of these numbers um, just to give context to – some of that success. So his freshman year, he's a thousand yard rusher, goes for 1037, eight touchdowns, um, plus another receiving touchdown as well. I think it was a 51 yarder. And uh, he averaged 5.7 yards per carry. Uh, so that's okay, obviously very impressive stuff. Um, 2020, you remember the FCS had the spring season. So instead of having like the condensed season like the FBS had, where it's like ah, Pac-12, we're gonna we're gonna play six games, and some others played like eight games or nine games. Instead, the FCS just pushed it all to the spring and said they're playing a half season. Um, and in that half season, he ran for 752 yards. I should I should just figure out how many games that was to give some context. Um, sorry, this is not the most interesting. There we go, uh, six games. Plus three, I believe, postseason games, so about 100 yards per game. And that's 752, that's six yards per carry, seven touchdowns in there. Um, and then this season, he uh, ran for just under 1,200 yards, 13 touchdowns. Uh, didn't catch a ball, which I think is interesting. Um, 6.7 yards per carry. They wound up losing to Montana State, which. I mean, you, you guys know how I feel about Montana State. We don't need to go down that road. But, uh, yeah, I mean, an, an All-American at the FCS level. And, uh, again, running backs are exciting. And if if he pans out, let, let's just hope he pans out. Um, so there we go. I guess more, more broadly on the running back position, I touched on this, but, you know, I do think that right now, oof, I think it's a 1A, 1B with Jefferson and Fontenot. And, again, I, I'm just trying to temper my expectations and then by, by not saying Jefferson is RB1 right now. 
Um, from there, you go to Dion Smith as your number three. A, a great change of pace back, incredibly fast. Would like to see him catch more balls. I think and I don't put that on him. I put it on you know Mike Sanford or whoever is going to be designing those sorts of things. Um, and then uh, Victor Venn is probably next up. And then your last scholarship running back is Jaylee Stacks, who's more of a fullback, but you know he could wind up being a bit of a third down back himself. I think. Um, so again, so five, five running backs on the roster on scholarship. And I think there's potential to add another. I think that because Colorado doesn't have a lot of open scholarships there, uh, I'm not totally sure. I think in a normal, if they had open scholarships, I think that they probably say, yeah, we want one more running back and they probably want a freshman. Or, or, or maybe like a JUCO guy, somebody who could come in as a freshman or a sophomore. Um, because I think right now with Fontenot and uh, Jefferson, both with one year of eligibility remaining, you could probably expect them to eat up enough carries that whatever's left can be given to Dion if, if he's ready for that, or it, it could be given to a, a younger back without overwhelming them or placing too much pressure on their shoulders. Um, I do think having another running back come in to compete and then also be ready for next year, because again, next year you're looking at Deion Smith as a senior, Jaylee Stacks as a junior, um, Victor Venn as a sophomore, potentially redshirt freshman, and that's it. And so you're probably looking to the portal next year if you don't do it now. Um we could add the freshman this year. You could add a couple freshmen next year, but I do think they probably want to add some experience there next year. Um, so there's what the running back position looks like. Again, I'm I'm pretty fired up about Jefferson. Going through and watching a bunch of things he did, it's uh it's exciting stuff. And he can hit big plays. He can do the dirty work between the tackles. You know, if you're down at the three yard line and give him the ball, good things are going to happen. Um, but also, you know, he, he can be a home run hitter too. And We'll see. We'll see what he looks like when the time comes. Uh, also, like I said, uh, the Buffs brought in a tackle from uh, the JUCO level. Six six, three hundred pounds. His name's Alex Harkey. He's got three years of eligibility left. He's from Texas. Um, for for academic reasons, he wound up going to was it Tyler? Is that what it's called? Um. Yeah, Tyler Junior College spent a year there, and uh, now he's headed to Boulder. Um, I think that. Hmm, I th- he will compete for a job. We'll start there. Um, Tommy Brown, I think, is probably more of an interior lineman, maybe right tackle. It, it's it's tough to say, but I think he's probably more of an interior lineman. Um, I think that. Right now, your tackles are probably probably still just Frank Phillip on one side and Jake Wiley on the other. Uh, there are a couple other guys who can compete. You know, Travis Gray is a big kid, and sure he's gonna be a true freshman, but you know he's he'll be there for spring ball. Who knows? Maybe maybe he can get his name into the mix. But I do think that as of right now, Harkey is probably the most likely option to take one of those starting jobs and with with taking Jake Wiley's job probably being much more likely um, than than Frank Phillips. So again, I mean Wiley will be in his third season. 
Um, Harky only in his second. And so I think because of that and just because physical development is so important on the offensive line that that one-year gap probably does matter. But, I mean, stranger things have happened. And it's not like Jake Wiley solidified himself as the starting tackle of the future. I still think that in a couple years he's probably going to be pretty good. Um, But just like everybody else in that offensive line, some serious struggles last year. Um, And because of that, who knows? And the fact that the Harky was brought in by the current coaching staff, the offensive line coach, Darrell, all that stuff, that is probably a good sign for him too. Um, you know, you've still got Jerry Christian Lichtenhan who, who will be around next year. Maybe he's ready. Um, you've still got, um, I guess Jackson Anderson could probably play outside quite a bit. Um, yeah, I mean, not a lot of options. And again, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they signed somebody else. I get, it, it is interesting, though, because I do think that uh, um, the, the Alabama transfer, Tommy Brown, he could potentially play right tackle. So I think there's a world where he plays right tackle and you flip Frank Phillip over to left tackle, and then those guys are your tackles. And then that would kind of be the, the solution if you aren't all that impressed with Jake Wiley or Jared Christian Lichtenhan or Harkey. Um, so you do have some flexibility there. I do think you probably still see one more lineman added. And who knows, maybe two. I think that you look at the line right now and it's still going to be a pretty young group. I think you could afford to add somebody who just has like one year of eligibility left. Um, I think that you have a lot of young guys. I don't think that they add another freshman or maybe even sophomore. Because um, you still have like Noah Fenske sitting there, the transfer from Iowa last year who will have two years of eligibility left. Um, like, is he ready? He's more of an interior lineman. Um, I, I do think that tackle is probably more likely than an interior guy if they add one more. And I think that a veteran is more likely than a younger player. Um, but but we'll see how it plays out. And, you know, I think any, any, any more competition for those spots after that group struggled last year, definitely a very good thing. Um... Real quick, I want to tell you guys about Breckenridge Brewery. Um, I had a bunch of Breckenridge beers again this weekend. It happens a lot during these football weekends. We go, we have the tailgate Sunday morning, wind up drinking a couple there, and then you watch a bunch of football games, you drink a couple there. I guess yesterday it wasn't like a lot because we had the basketball game that I needed to be sober for, obviously. Um, we'll talk about that game here in a minute. But... You know, Breckenridge beers can't do much better. You know, they've partnered with all the local sports teams, including CU. They're a huge part of the sports community, and that's why they advertise with us. Um, And so the the least that you could do when they're supporting all these other groups financially, including us, is to to help them out by buying a beer or two. And if you do buy a beer, 1% of the profits will go to the National Parks Conservation Association. It's a great deal. Um, They obviously like the environment as well, and that... That 1% counts whether you're buying a six-pack at the grocery store, whether you're getting a pint at the bar. So make sure that you get in on that. Also, DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, DraftKings makes a lot of what we do here possible, and right now they're making it possible for you to make a lot of money. Um, and here's how. Super Bowl 56 is just around the corner, and they've got an awesome promotion. It's similar to the promotions they've been running throughout the playoffs, but you bet $5 on either of the teams to win. If you're right, 
you get $280 in free bets. That's a lot of money. And you don't want to let this opportunity go to waste. Because like I said, they've had similar opportunities throughout the playoffs. As soon as these playoffs are over, we don't know what the special will be. So definitely get in on that right now. Pick up your $280 in free bets. And, uh, you know, if you're if you're already a customer, you're not a new customer, then build yourself a same-game par- same parlay. Look through the boosts. See, uh, see what specials they have going on. Because, you know, we all know how it works. Like... The sportsbook makes money because there's like that little margin in between. You know, if uh, if there's even odds on both teams to win, you know, it's minus 110 on one side, minus 110 on the other. Well, that means that there's that little tiny slice where if you get equal bets on both sides, then the sportsbook is going to make just, just a smidge and come out just a little bit better off than the customers. That's why they do it. That's why it's a business. But when you use the odds boost, when you check on those promotions pages, see if you can get free bets, all that kind of stuff. That's how you change the odds in your favor. Um, and there's plenty of opportunities to do that DraftKings. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use the promo code DMVR, and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. It's promo code DNVR at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Okay, um, into this basketball game, which... Actually, I'm showing up right now without any notes. I got so distracted by all the football stuff happening. I was like, oh, yeah, when it comes time to talk about the basketball game, oh, that'll be easy. Um, I guess the reason why it's easy is because it was a really, really ugly game. Um, I've got a little PTSD right now, to be honest. Um, I guess let's hit the details first, then we can get into some big picture stuff. Colorado loses to Washington State 70 to 43. Um that's uh, embarrassing to say the least. You know that's that's a, a 27 point loss in a game where you were never really close. You know there was never a run at uh anything important. Actually so so when Colorado got on the board, um they they had a I think it was all Neek. It was Neek, right? He, he had a layup, and then the next possession wound up hitting a three, and they had a little five-point run right there. The five-point run was the longest run of the game for Colorado until the last 90 seconds when they finished the game on a 6-0 run to, uh, to cap things off. And obviously, in a 27-point blowout, those are the, the walk-ons who are on the court. Um, so... I think that that kind of sums it up. Where obviously, like Washington State, I mean, just off the top of my head, like I was open this up. There's a jumper, good layup, good three, good three, good layup. So that's six points plus six points. There's a twelve point run, and that was just like the first place I clicked. Um, Washington State beat Colorado in just about every statistical category. Actually, Colorado beat them in turnovers. That's that's the one that Colorado won. I think. Uh, Colorado had 16 turnovers. Washington State had 17 turnovers. But when you look at anything else, like obviously it's points in the game, but also points in the paint, bench points, points off turnovers, second chance points, rebounds, dunks, layups, two-pointers, three-pointers, free throws, steals, blocks, assists. Those were all won by the Cougars. 
You know, there just isn't much to look at and say like, oh, well, at least at least there's that little silver lining. It was a beat down from start to finish, and that there isn't much more to it than that. Um, again, like if you're really trying to force a silver lining, you could say like, well, Jabari was five of nine. He had 11 points. That's semi-efficient scoring. He had, he had those three turnovers too, so that's not great. Eight rebounds, an assist. Again, that's, I mean... For, for for an average college basketball player, that's a, a solid stat line. For Jabari, I mean, you you need 18 from him. And you can like the efficiency, but, I mean, if you called it 5 of 12 and just move those turnovers into the uh, field goal, like call misses instead of turnovers, well, all of a sudden you're not too excited about the shooting. Um, so, I mean, efficiency-wise, sure. I guess a solid night for Jabari. But, I mean, 11 points for him. You just need more than that. And outside of Jabari, I mean, nobody else finished shooting 50% or better from the field. KJ's 1 of 7. Keyshawn's 2 of 6. Um, Evans, 2 of 9. Neek is 3 of 9. Um, Luke O'Brien, 1 of 6. Hammond, 1 of 6. Will Laughlin, 1 of 4. Again, there's, there's not, like, there's nothing really to like. All you can do is make excuses, and the excuse would be, well, the Buffs figured out just a few minutes before the game that Eli Parquet wasn't going to be able to go. Um, he he opens up a start a spot in the starting lineup, and we'll talk about the lineup here in a second. Um, Lawson Lovering still gone for the year. This is only a few games into that, so you don't have your, your size option off the bench. Kind of a big guy who can go just give a different look. I mean, he's, he's listed seven foot one. And Jabari is listed six foot nine, and he's the only one at six foot nine, and he's your second tallest player. So when you when you miss that chest piece, it sucks. Even if Lawson still is pretty raw, um, and then also Tristan was still out with uh with an illness. So again, you're you're missing some players, but that maybe that's worth like fifteen points, right? And even that would be like pretty optimistic, saying that those guys are going to change the the outcome by 15 points. When when you're talking about 27 point loss, it doesn't really have anything to do with a few guys not being available. You you should be able to lose those guys and Jabari and one other and say like, ah oh, yeah, at least I mean, we kept it within 27, right? Like the absences don't equate to a 27 point loss. Um. The lineup, I think that this is probably the most fun thing to talk about, right? Is is what this rotation looks like, what this starting lineup looks like going forward, because it is such a young team. And we know how this works. Like you're not going to wind up with however many players this would be, like five seniors. Or I guess what it would the really the, the backlog would be if you still have like Jabari, Tristan, um Keyshawn, uh Luke, Neek. And so you have these five guys in that class who are seniors in a couple years. And you also have Lawson and Javon and Quincy and KJ and Julian. And so you have five guys who are juniors as well. Because that's ten guys in those classes and you're just getting ready to, to totally turn over the roster in two years. Like there's going to be some attrition. And... That's going to come probably starting at the end of this season. And because of that, 
kind of how these rosters shake out. I mean, who is your starting point guard at the end of the season? Because that guy's probably your starting point guard next year. And that means that your number two is your number two next year. And your number three is your number three. And you've got Javon coming back from a, a redshirt freshman year. And he's going to want minutes. And he thinks he's a point guard. And so do you see number three transfer out? Does, does number two say, hey, I'm a starting point guard. I'm going to transfer out. And so number three moves up and or competes with Javon for that number two spot. Like there's, there's going to be that attrition long term. And we're kind of building toward... I mean, we're setting the stage for, for the end of the season to see what this turnover looks like because I do think that there's going to be some. Um, and, and yesterday, actually, let's say Thursday, after the Washington game, Tad said that he needs to reevaluate his starting lineup. And, you know, that was kind of a weird time considering that you had just lost Tristan for that game and so you're throwing Neek into the starting lineup. I guess he'd been in the starting lineup. Um Right, yeah, for for Eli, but then Eli came back, and so then Neek started for uh, Tristan. Um, so again, maybe a little bit of a weird time, like say like we need to fix the line. But the point is, we saw him try to change that lineup, um, but before Eli was support, supposed to to sit, before we learned he was going to sit, CU's starting lineup was going to be KJ, Keyshawn, Eli, Jabari, Evan. So there's your five. And then when Eli couldn't go, Neek took his starting spot. And so this this K.J. Simpson getting his first career start thing, um, I guess you could say it was because of an injury because you didn't have Tristan, um, but it was planned even before Eli's absence. Um, so that in itself is notable, that K.J. is is getting his first start, and, and that's kind of an intentional move. Tad wanted to shake up the lineup. That's how he wanted to shake it up. And I think that that's obviously been the conversation that we've been having on this podcast that others have been having elsewhere is should KJ be the starting point guard over Keyshawn? And, you know, last night they played them both together. Results were not good. Uh, neither of them scored in the first half. And, and that kind of speaks for itself. By the end of the game, KJ has four points on one of seven shooting, um, three boards, five assists, three turnovers, a block, two steals. Um, some good stuff in there. That one for seven is pretty loud. Those three turnovers are pretty loud too. And, uh, you know, that's kind of does some of the the good things they did. Uh, Keyshawn finishes with five points, two of six shooting, um, one rebound, two turnovers. There you go. Um, So Keyshawn, slightly better scoring. Uh, I guess he's one of essentially two of six versus one of seven. One more point in there. Um, but without some of the other stuff like the rebounds and the assist, also one fewer turnover. So I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and say that either one of them went and like won the job. I'd I'd say KJ probably played just a little bit better, but I mean the difference between like a, a 67 on a test and a 69 on a test, like are we? Do we care? <laughs> That's pretty pretty similar. Um, they struggled. I think that. I mean, what what you want when you have a battle for for a starting job, and and everybody seems to understand that that's what's going on, is that they're both lighting it up. It's like, oh, how are you going to sit one of these guys on the bench? And that's kind of the opposite right here. Where it's like, ah, who, you got to pick one. One of them has to start. And they've both had great moments. You know, Keyshawn had a good game uh, recently. KJ's had a few recently. Um, 
not much movement, I don't think. I, I think that if I'm Tad Boyle, I'm saying, okay, KJ, you you want the starting job? Go get the starting job. And he didn't. Um, Keyshawn, you want to hold on to it? You go hold on to it. And he didn't. And we'll see. So so Thursday is the next game. That's when Oregon comes to town. And I mean, they're going to be looking for revenge after what happened last week. Um, so what is the starting lineup? I think that's the first question. But then beyond that, do either of these guys have a performance that's, that's kind of a statement saying, this should be me here? Um, and we're, we're still waiting on that. Because honestly, I mean, Julian Hammond played as much as Keyshawn did. Both had 26 minutes. I mean, what? So Bartholomew, two of six, five points. Hammond's one of six with five points. Um, he also has more rebounds. I mean, probably not a good time to be ruling uh, Julian out of this competition either, to be honest. Um, but somebody's got somebody's to gotta take the reins, or we're going to be seeing more games like last night is the bottom line. Um, also got to kind of sum up this road trip where you, you have the extra game added on because of the, the postponement with Oregon. So you wind up going to Oregon first and then playing the Washington teams. Um, it was a great start. It was a really great start. And then it got wasted by losing to Washington and Washington State. And so you're kind of back where you started, maybe just a little bit behind where you started this road trip. Um, I think that's probably where I'd put them. Uh, you've, you've, your path to the NCAA tournament is... It's, it's basically just either winning out or maybe you can drop one or two games the rest of the way. But guess what? They're sitting at five and six now. So... Maybe you do need to win out. Go go fourteen and six to to make the tournament as an at large, or maybe you can lose one, maybe two, and then win a game or two in the tournament at the end of the year. Or of course, just go win the tournament and you're in. That's how Oregon State did it last year, and they kept going through the NCAA tournament. So, big picture, the the big goal, the NCAA tournament, it's that dream is pretty close to dead. And now I think that. You know, it kind of felt like you, you go and you compete for the NCAA tournament. That's the goal for this year. And there's maybe a one in three chance that you wind up getting there. But if not, then you're going to be in good shape heading into the NIT. Well, you might have some work to do now to make it into the NIT. Um, so before you talk about NCAA tournament, you've at least got to go win a few games and, and say, like, yes, we at the very least are going to go play some some basketball in the NIT. Um so there we go. I think that that's uh, that's the lowdown on what's going on, and, and we'll kind of pick up on Thursday when Oregon comes to town. Um, it's a big game. That's a big game because if you lose it, it's going to be a sad, sad time. Um, let's get into this interview because uh, this is actually fun and hopeful. Um, and sure, CU football hasn't always been those two things recently, but Ramon Jefferson, a really good running back. I gave you the uh, background earlier. I think that that's all the context you need for all of this. So uh, here you go. Here's uh, here's Ramon Jefferson, who is about to be the uh, potential starting running back at CU next season. <laughs> All right, Ramon. Um, first question here. 
I'm just curious, like, what was the moment where you decided that you wanted to go to Colorado? Um, so obviously the coach was phenomenal. So my host, uh, Jalen Jackson, okay. and just hearing him kind of talk about the culture and the tradition. You know, he's there for five years to be a fifth year senior. Just hearing his enthusiasm about it and how excited he was, and um, obviously me being from New York, but you know, he was a, a Dallas, Texas guy, I believe, and. You know, he went to Seminole High School with one of my teammates at Sam Houston. And so it was just like a connection and just talking to him and hearing how he viewed the school. And, and yes, sir. Yeah, you know, and Jalen's had kind of a tough path. You know, he's missed a couple seasons with injuries. Um, and for him, it's kind of like uh, his last run, too. So that, that kind of puts you two in similar situations. Yeah, definitely. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, w- when was that? When when were you here on your visit? Um, so I was here this past weekend. Okay. And so you decided pretty quickly that that yeah. you wanted to be here. Yeah, and um, I've been building a relationship with the coaches, and you know what I mean. And uh, just Coach Hagen, you know, he's a legend, and to be coached by somebody like him, and obviously the coaching staff getting to meet them, and you know, just you know his knowledge and his expertise to the game, definitely something I wanted to be a person I wanted to be coached by. Was he the first coach from CU to reach out for for or to you? Uh, yes, sir. Okay. Um, and who else, what other coaches were, were involved in, you know, kind of recruiting you to Colorado? Um, the Titans coach, the Titans coach. Okay. And, you know, I also got to talk to the O-line coach and just, you know, obviously they're coming from different places and, you know, they also have different experiences at other schools. And that's something that I like, you know, just to mm-hmm. all come together for one and have the different knowledge and things like that. Okay. Um, and what, what did, what did they say to you that kind of sold you from the coach's standpoint on, on coming to Colorado? Um, well, one thing for me is obviously, you know, football, football is a business and, but I just appreciated, you know, talking to the coach Hagan, like, so, you know, sometimes he'll call me just, you know, just talk about life. You know what I mean? It didn't always have to be about football and stuff like that. And, you know, just telling me how his day was. I tell him how my day was. And, you know, just building a relationship, like, outside of football first was, was real big to me. So that's when I kind of realized, okay, these, these are good guys. Okay. Um, you know, there's been a lot of turnover at CU this offseason. You know, new offensive coordinator, um, a new tight ends coach, you know, somebody you're close with, new, a bunch of new running backs, or potentially there's there's a couple of running backs who left, I guess. Uh, was that part of your decision-making process, just kind of knowing that there's just going to be this fresh start here? Um, no, I, it was really like, obviously the coaches reached out for a reason, so I was very appreciative of that. But it was really just the, just... No, just the vibe I guess I got from it. Like, obviously, I realize, like, right now in college football, it's a lot going on. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? From coaches leaving and players, like, all over the place, you know. Mm-hmm. I just see you. So, it, it's definitely something that's – this has been a crazy year, especially from a player's, you know, point of view, just seeing how that works. And, you know, but just having an opportunity to talk to the new coaching staff and, you know, getting a chance to chop it up with them in person as well was definitely good. Okay. Well, what did what did you and Jalen do while you were in Boulder? He beat me in 2K. Okay. He beat me in 2K. He was playing 2K, man. And, you know, just sitting on the couch, just, you know, just two two older guys just talking, I guess, man. You know, he, I had the, the Lakers. He had the Celtics, you know, played the all-time team. So, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, but, yeah. So, he was just playing 2K, man. And got on the Madden after and just, it was just chilling. Did you win in Madden? I won in Madden. Okay. What, do you remember the score? I don't remember the score. But I'm pretty good at Matt. I'm pretty solid. Yeah, I'm really? Pretty solid. Okay. So, so what? What team were you? 
I want to say, I want to say I was the Chiefs. If I remember, okay. I want to say I was the Chiefs. Okay. So this is a pretty, pretty good little Madden team to use. You know, Tyreek Hill mm-hmm. action, Patrick Mahomes action. You you throw the ball a lot in Madden, or are you you part? I, you play I, see, game? see, I'm a running back, so I can't be too. You know, I can't let them know what I'm doing. You know, what I mean, they're gonna expect mm-hmm. me to run the ball, so I throw it a little more than I run it. Okay, so so I play a lot of Madden. There's actually so so DMVR where I work. There's a Madden league. It's like okay. all Madden, all, 32 teams, all, all user teams, and so it gets super competitive. Okay. Um, okay. But but like, what what's your what's your go to play? What's your favorite? <sighs> Got to give away the money play. I would say it will be uh, basically it's out of gun formation. I think it's out of Chiefs playbook. Okay. You know, get the slot in. I think it's the running back in motion. You know, you fake like you give him the jet sweep, and oh, then he yeah, runs yeah. the wheel up the middle, and then and then normally that that receiver that's already on the right side normally comes wide open, or you throw it to the running back. So that jet pass wheel route out the back uh-huh. was pretty. That's pretty solid. All right, I'm definitely adding that to the playbook. Um, uh, let's see what else do I got for you. So so were you guys just like hanging out playing Madden, doing that sort of stuff yeah. the whole time. Yeah. Nice. It was cool. You know, got some great food in the area and. Mm-hmm. Don't remember Where'd the names go? of the restaurant, but we were, okay. it was in a it was an Italian restaurant. Pasta Jays. Yeah, yeah, that's it was a good pretty spot. Good. Yeah, it was a good spot, and you know, had my family with me, and you know, I was excited. My mom and my cousin, okay. just for them to experience that as well. Did Did your mom get out to many games when you were in Texas? So she she went to so the first game, my mom came to me. College funny stories actually was the national championship. Okay. So she got a chance to see us win the national championship, and uh, we had a rivalry game against Stephen F. Austin, and that mm-hmm. was in NRG Stadium. So she went to some big time games. So she's looking forward to obviously this year too. Yeah, that's gonna be fun. You know, so so I I went to Montana, and so okay. I, I've I've been following FCS football for a while. Okay. One of the things that I really like about it is the 2014 playoff. You know, with the, the yeah. whole discussion going on with like the FBS, what they should do. What do, what do yeah. you think about all that? Um. I think I think it's good. It gives you know other teams a a chance to you know go at those bigger guys. You know what I mean? Go at those bigger schools, and you never know with football. So it's definitely because you know sometimes not always the best team wins on a, on a given Saturday or whatever day you play. So you know it'll give definitely be it'd be interesting if that was to happen. What's it like playing in playoff football games? It's just it's nerve wracking. Like in in the FCS, it's funny because like you know you're gonna have know those new teams that come along but you're always going to see the north dakota states mm-hmm. the james madisons the uh, south dakota states and montana State. so it's definitely it was definitely you know just seeing them on the schedule it's like okay it's go time you know what i mean and mm-hmm. it, it was it was interesting because we played north dakota state james madison south dakota state and monmouth like it was all kind of back to back to back so it was a pretty good experience yeah and you know i think some people when they see like fcs running back you know, the, the, the concern is like, oh, is he big enough? Is he fast enough to play at the Power 5 level? Yeah, but definitely. then you see North Dakota State go and beat FBS teams all the time. And yeah. James Madison, they, they go beat FBS teams all the time. Montana beat Washington this year. That was like the highlight of my entire year. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely you know, it's definitely always going to be, you know, just something that I guess could concern people. But I'll be just fine. And, you know, I, I believe in myself. And, you know, also the coaches believe in me, the players, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, that I've met. So. I'm I'm excited, you know, and obviously just to get out there and, and you know just execute on a high level on a bigger stage, you mm-hmm. know that's that's all you can ask for. So I'm just blessed for opportunity and so. 
you know, so so your freshman year, you're at Maine. Um, yes, and I think at that point, Maine had had missed the playoffs four years in a row. And then your first year, first of all, your freshman all of America, all American, which is impressive. But then also you guys make a run to the semifinal game, final four after missing the playoffs that many times. What what stands out about that season to you? It was just, you know, just coming out of high school, out of the Bronx, New York, like, you know, just Maine and New Hampshire was like my uh, only offers. I had some bigger interests, but, you know, just didn't fall through and through the size and things like that. High school, I was small, man. I might have been like 170 in high school. Coming really? out of high school. Yeah, so. What are you I'm at about, now? Uh, 215. Okay. Yeah, so I'm That's about a lot more. Yeah. So <laughs> just just that season was just like I was, like like I said, uh, I was led by some great leaders, you know, um, guys, mm-hmm. Joe Fitzpatrick, Nigel Beckford. Those were older running backs. They were seniors when I was a freshman. So just getting led, and I believe that's something that I could bring to see you is just like, you know, just good leaders, just a good person to be around, great teammate, you know, because that's mm-hmm. all you really need. Yeah, and, and then you wind up at Sam Houston too, which, you know, is different than Maine. You know, Maine, Maine's a good program, but Sam Houston is, is yes, consistently competing for national championships. Yes, you know, did, did you notice, like, a difference being inside that program versus Maine? Um, just different styles of play. So I was in the CAA in Maine, you know, mm-hmm. just, a, just a more kind of rough them up, downhill kind of conference. You know, you got your Delawares, uh, Villanovas, JMU, mm-hmm. built different, you know what I mean? And then, you know, I go out Sam Houston and this air raid and you know people are faster and quicker and you know so i got a chance to experience both of them and it was definitely uh you know obviously samuels being a winning program you know just coming in and getting coached by coach casey Keeley, you know one of the best fcs coaches to, to coach and you know just playing for him it was it was a great experience yeah did you did you feel like having that experience being up in the northeast where they do play rougher football more physical football does that help when you when you get to sam houston and you've got all these texas guys who playing like six on six all summer and, and it is yeah. that game? yeah definitely because um like my first college touchdown was uh against the fbs school uh western kentucky right oh, first yeah. i caught like a wheel route took it like 60 yards you know so it was you know, just getting the chance to play against even some of those teams we played against uh, Central Michigan too that year. Mm-hmm. So just just that experience and you know just having the experience of being all over the place. You know what I mean? I felt like it's definitely got me ready um, to go in and accept the challenge of a new school. You know, you you've made a couple of stops, a few stops since since you left the Bronx. What what which transition was the hardest? Was it going from there to Maine or Maine to JUCO or JUCO down to Texas? I would say Maine to Juco. Okay. And obviously, after leaving Maine, it's like, you know, you go to Maine, you know, you, you go to Juco, you like, okay, yeah, I play FCS D1, you know, mm-hmm. and you're going out there in a Juco league. And this is before, like, the transfer portal and everything. So, mm-hmm. you know, you got your five stars in there. You got your independence. And I was in the Kansas League. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even guys on our defense, I mean, I believe everybody was FBS, like, I started DN, went to LSU, Ali Gay, you know, linebacker. So the talent level in Jugo was definitely something that, you know, you really can't sleep on, you know what I mean? And it was mm-hmm. definitely uh, some teams in junior college that was harder than some teams I played at Maine. That's that's interesting, you know, because, you know, you just look at the way things are stacked up, you know, it's like Power 5, G5, and then FCS, and then, and then people usually put Juco behind that. But you do get yeah. a lot of really good athletes. Yeah, and I mean, 
one of the best athletes. I mean, clean my clock in Juco is uh, <laughs> Perrion Winfrey plays for oh, Oklahoma yeah. right now. You know, he's going to the draft. I mean, you just got guys like that all over the place. And, you know, uh, I, think, I think his name is Kyrie something, you know. He was a DB at Fort Scott. He went to Alabama. You know what I mean? So, yeah, just playing against guys like that and getting a chance to, you know, at, at the SES level, obviously some guys fall through the cracks of bigger schools, but, you know, getting to go juco and playing against guys that went to those you know big schools you know definitely definitely was great experience too i can't i can't remember Kyrie's last name but i'm pretty sure jennings like jenkins something like something that. like that but yeah, yeah somebody got hurt for bama and he started the national championship yeah so i mean you know it's just guys like that and, mm-hmm. you know so yeah it's a great experience yeah what what happened from there you know what what, what were the options that you had what what was your so, second choice behind sam houston Sam Houston was kind of like Colorado for me, like uh, had Towson, Stony Brook, uh, mm-hmm. some other schools, but just like Colorado, you know, just with the the chance, like when I got a chance to go to a, a good school, coaches believed in me. I said, I, I didn't need to just wait anymore. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, coaches believe in me and you know, the people believe in me and I, I don't need to, you know what I mean? Wait around and see what else out there for me if I feel like this is for me. Yeah. Um, so so you get there and, and they push the season back. So you, so you don't get to play the normal 2020 fall season. It gets yeah. to spring. It's like a shortened season. But, yeah. but what, what, what was that process like going through? It was crazy, man. Making? Like it was just like it was crazy. And then just the turnaround of the season, um, just not knowing if you're going to play. You know, you're just training kind of. You know, checking the news every day. I didn't even watch the news up as much as I did during the pandemic. Yeah. Just checking out the new variants, everything going on, uh-huh. and testing and things like that. And it's just like, man, are we gonna even play a season? Turn around and then win a national championship from it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then turn around from there. We our national championship game was like May. Turn around June twenty eighth. We're preparing for another season. You know what I mean? And. It, it was a, it was crazy, but it was a good experience. Cause I was surrounded by good guys and good people. When when you're taking hits like that all spring, is it is it tough to be ready to play like a real full season with with the playoff afterward, with like the full 2014 yeah. playoff? Is that is that a challenge to get your body ready? It, it definitely was challenging, and that's why you know now just you know I'm just getting back out there, you know, working out hard, you know, speed a lot of speed. I've been doing like a lot of speed work, and and just like. It was hard from a training standpoint because now you lose, you know, that, well, even though you're training in the fall, you lose that kind of spring to, like, get bigger, faster, stronger, and it's just like, okay, right into another season. Mm-hmm. So it kind of puts your body on overdrive. So game two of the fall felt like game 100, you know what I mean? Yeah. So so it was it was definitely a, a crazy experience. Was it, was it a tough decision to transfer away from Sam Houston? Um, It, it was definitely a tough decision. Um. You know, just just everything that's going on with the program right now, especially they're going to be moving in a good, positive direction. One big major thing for me was just, you know, I love to compete. You know what I mean? I love to, you know. So right now, um, I believe just do the rules and things like that. Transitioning, they're transitioning to FBS. Yeah. So for, I believe for the next two years won't be like bowl game or uh, playoff eligible or, yep. or something like that. So that was a big decision. That was a big thing for me, and just you know, just you know, being a part of a winning program like Sam Houston, you know what I mean? Like just playing for the national championship, playing for conferences, you know, we won the conference again this past year. So, you know, just having that for, for a senior year was kind of like, ah, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's definitely hard. Yes, sir. 
so there's there's a bunch of guys in the portal you know it's it seems like half of every roster winds up at portal and a, a lot of guys don't wind up finding a, another home yeah. you know for you was it was it stressful just to kind of wait by your phone and and see yeah it's definitely the, the transfer report is definitely nerve-wracking man especially when you know it's my last year and i just you know wanted an opportunity to you know finish off strong and Hopefully, get a chance to the next level, but also getting a new environment, getting a new feel. You know what I mean? So it's definitely nerve wracking. But like I said, you know, Coach Hagen, man, cool as ice, man. He He's a cool mm -hmm. dude, man. And he didn't lie to me the whole recruiting process. You know what I mean? And I told him, Coach, if I get an opportunity, I'm, you, you'll see from there. So, you know what I mean? When did he first reach out to you? Uh, I don't know the exact date, but. I would say a few days after being in the portal. A few days. Okay. So I've, I've been talking to him for before I visited about two weeks. Okay. Um. And, and was was the plan always to visit this weekend, or did did it just kind of warm up to to getting to that point? Um, it was always the visit. The visit was always in the air. I took a visit to Middle Tennessee. Okay. The week before, so that was kind of already set up and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So so I had that visit in, in obviously Colorado. Okay. Um. Let's see. I think that's most of what I have for you. Any, any favorite plays from your career so far? Anything that sticks out? Like favorite plays of all time? Like yeah. from my college career? From your career, so, yep. Okay, so yes. Favorite play from freshman year at Maine will be against Weber State. It was deep in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. um, I get an outside zone to the right to end the game. Uh scored a touchdown you know put the game out of reach you know now we're moving on to the next round of playoffs get in trouble for spinning the ball seniors get on me you know rookie mistake you know i spin the ball cold touchdown man you look at a cold touchdown and and probably uh my second favorite would be uh me against southeastern missouri kind of uh -huh. rent yeah got a got up the middle and kind of hit outside and Almost got spun around, backpedaled, and finished the run, and mm -hmm. it's just it's just the energy because that was the um, first home game after a national championship. Oh so was, wow! Yeah, so it was a good little experience for me. Yeah, how how big are the crowds at Sam Houston? <laughs> Probably couldn't compare it to CU, but you know, FCS, you know, got got up to some good numbers. You know, okay, some, some good turnouts. You know, like. Our biggest game would be our rivalry game. I feel like about 20,000 or something like that. Yeah, that's solid. Yeah, it was a pretty, pretty good turnout. Yeah, that's a, that's that's definitely solid. I mean, that's better than some FBS schools. A yeah. bunch of FBS schools, yeah, really. So definitely. Yeah. Have, have you seen, like, Ralphie running before the game? Like, the team, like, runs I've behind I've seen him? it. I just can't wait to just experience it all. You know, I've seen the locker room, just seeing everything. I'm, I'm fired up, so... Okay. Um. I, I. I. Before we get out of here, just like, what's your timeline? You plan? You, you go get your degree in May. And yes, then sir. So I plan on getting a degree in May and go right on up, and I, I'll just be there from there. So, Did, what's your degree in? Um. So right now, my degree is is like a general degree. Can't really figure out what I want to okay. do. It's like integrated studies, but ultimately, the older I got, I realized I want to do sports performance, and you know, okay. yeah. So so I'm gonna get back into that for grad school, study that, and. No, it was hard for me coming out, you know, certain kinesiology classes. It was I didn't know if I really wanted to do it or not, but you know, being a sports performance coach, I feel like it's definitely something that's been on my mind heavy and something I feel like I could do and be good at it. All right. Um 
is it is it going to be tough knowing that they're going through spring practices and you're still going to be down in Texas? Yeah, yeah. I wish, yeah, I wish I graduated, um, obviously now and could get out there with the guys and you know do everything from there. But you know, it's on me to you know work hard so by the time I get there, I could just you know and do everything I can right now to you know be prepared for when I get there. What does that look like? Like, do coaches send you like workouts and that sort of stuff? Playbook to study? Uh, no, sir. I'm in um, so I'm in Huntsville, Texas, and you know Houston is a great area for working out, and I yeah. got some trainers out here as far as speed work and getting in there for some facilities, and you know, not just not skipping the beat. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. getting some good work in with coaches that you know care. Awesome. Um, I think that's all I got for you. But Thank I'll you. I'll see you when you get it. up here. I'm excited. All right, definitely. Me too. Thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for coming on.